Mother's Day, all you lovely ladies. <laughs> and um, I have a special um, two women that I'm uh, very, they're going to speak today, and um, I'm excited about it, and um, they have something to share with you guys. And the first one I have here is um, Bethany, and I, so Bethany, she's, she's part of this church, and she comes up here, and she's on the worship team, and she does a lot of, what do you, what do you call it, tech work? You say tech? I don't know, computer stuff. <laughs> computer stuff. So, yeah, we really appreciate her and um, all the things that she serves in, in the church and her husband, Peter. So, come on, Bethany, you can come up here. Clay, we almost gave that part to you <laughs> instead of Jesse, but I guess he was more available. So sorry you missed your time to shine. All right. Um, so last night I asked um, Peter to pray for me for today, and he was like, what specifically do you want me to pray for? And I was like, I don't want to go blah, 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 motherhood is beautiful, blah, 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 and waste your guys' time. So um, hopefully that won't be the case this morning. Um, so... I'm going to read from Titus 2, 1 to 5, and Danny's going to bring that up. Um, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious go gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So Lorraine asked me to um, give a small message this morning, on, and she suggested talking about one of the women from the Bible, and I asked if I could read from this instead because... Um, while the stories in the, of the women in the Bible are great and I can learn from them, I've really learned more from, well, maybe I shouldn't say more, but I've learned significantly um, from the women in this church. And um, you guys have been a huge influence on me. So um, just you've been so faithful in walking with the Lord, and, and I noticed that. And I know I'm not the only one who does. Um, so I started coming here when I was very single, and then I dated Peter here, and we got married here, and we had two children, and then I had a miscarriage, and now I'm ha we're having a third one, and I've dealt with many fears and worries and sickness, and you women have walked with me through all of that. You've been an amazing support, a really amazing support, and you've imparted your wisdom and insight and offered your many prayers on my behalf and on my family's behalf and that um i don't know there's no no words for how um how much i value that so from my teen years um, to my 20s i dreamed of a moment like this where i could be talking from the stage and impart my amazing wisdom and um, immense insight to everybody only there would have been thousands of you but this is fine i <laughs> oh well um <laughs> no but the older i get the more I realize how little I have to offer and how much I have to learn. Um, so I'm not going to be teaching. I'm just going to be um, encouraging the women who have taught me. Um, 
So sorry, guys, please don't fall asleep. Uh, in my um, early 20s, uh, it seemed like there were a lot of older women who would uh, comment to me that my generation was the hope for this country and kind of like putting it all on my generation. And it really bothered me. Like on the one hand, it was like flattering, but on the other hand, it really bothered me. And I didn't know why until I um, started considering this, this passage. And of course, Jesus is our only hope. Um, but when I started considering this passage about the older women teaching the younger, um, then I kind of had an answer the next time a woman said that to me. And somebody did say that to me again. And I respectfully said, um, yeah, we have a part to play in it. But we can't do this without you. We really can't. Um, we can't do what we have to do without the older women um, imparting their wisdom and their insight and their years of experience in walking with the Lord to us. Um, so what I hope is that from this that you really um, see your value in um, this next generation. And please don't feel old. And I keep saying older women. Please don't feel old. There's not an old woman in this church. There's not an old person in this church. Honestly, like it's, Peter and I keep talking about that. Everyone has such high energy and so much life, and it, it's awesome. So some of you have more energy than I do. Um, so yeah, the very idea of us younger women striking out on our own is, is scary. It's a very heavy weight. Um, so it's, it's great to know that we have um, this generation or two generations before us who have gone on before us who are paving the way and teaching us the way. Um, and it's, you know, it's not the way God intended us for, it's not the way God intended us for the, not the way, whatever. Um, God didn't intend for us to do this on our own. Um, except I did think when I was younger, I thought I could do it on my own. I thought I was a rock and an island and I didn't need anyone to teach me and I could figure it out on my own. And if I had a question, I wasn't going to ask. I was just going to figure it out on my own. And it's a dangerous place to be unteachable. Um, so God's been working on my pride over the years, and he's still working on it. Um, so God brought me here to you all. And the older women in this church, again, have taught me so much. I've been watching and listening and learning from you, and you don't even know it sometimes. Um, and there are very powerful women in this church. And I don't mean that, um, not talking about the girl power that the world talks about. Um, I'm talking about the power of the spirit in your life. And again, wh and when I say that, some people might um, imagine like someone filled with the spirit walking down the street and slaying people in the spirit and casting out demons. But I don't mean that either. Um, I mean just that you allow the Holy Spirit to live in you and you abide in Christ and you're allowing him to flow through you, which um, is powerful in itself because that means you're submitting to Christ, which is a lot of, um, uh, what's the word for it? I don't know. It, it takes a lot to do that. You know, it takes a lot of strength to do that because you're putting your own will aside and letting Christ live through you. And the fruit of the Spirit is in you, the evidence 
of God is alive in you uh, here and, you know, wherever you go, you prove to me and to the next generation and to the world that God is alive because you're allowing his spirit to live through you, through your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, none of those are any joke. <laughs> like, <laughs> those all are uh, big deals. Um, so your humility is powerful, and the world wants to put women in this high leaders leadership position and praise their power, but the true power is in Christ, and the true power is in your selflessness and in self-control and in loving others even when they don't love you and serving and submitting to Christ and submitting to your husband. And those are all what really speaks um, power. Um, and these things are honoring to God. Like in Titus 2, 4 to 5, it says, So that the older women may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So you are honoring God's word through doing these things. Um, submitting to anyone is hard. You know, submitting to our authorities is hard. And um, sometimes submitting to your husband, no matter how godly he is, can be hard. But it's so beautiful, and it's so good, and it speaks power, and it, it, it exemplifies um, us submitting to Christ um, as a church, us submitting to Christ, and this is honoring to God. There are um, many women who go through life complaining and whining and, um, you know, how their lives didn't work out the way they wanted it to, and I'm not here to judge them. Um, I know it's easy to fall into that. It's easy to complain. Um, but I think of all of you in comparison, and I know some of you have experienced incredible disappointments and incredible pain, and you've suffered terrible things, and you've been treated unjustly, and some of you have dealt with illnesses and unfathomable pains of the heart and of the body, and some of you have been praying for the same thing for years, and you still are waiting for the answer. Some of you have raised many children, and this is wonderful, and trying at the same time. Uh, there are moms here who have gotten up in the middle of the night just so you have time to prepare your children's schoolwork for the next day or so that you have time alone with the Lord, and that's huge that you, I know, I know some of you have done this, so that you've got up in the middle of the night just to have time alone with the Lord, and that is powerful. I think of my Oma, who went through World War II and is suffered great losses, and yet she has an amazing attitude, and it's really inspiring to me. And I think of Laurie McCurry, who we know, who we knew, who suffered through cancer for years, but always had a smile on her face and cared for others. And I remember actually um, burning my hand pretty badly, and she was suffering very badly, and, saw, and found that I burned my hand, and she came to my house and brought silver cream for my arm. It was not long before she went to be with Jesus. And uh, so she was just such a powerful woman of God in her, in her um, obedience to Christ. Uh, I don't know where I am on time, but um, many of you have persevered through trying times. And you've come out walking 
in the grace and peace of God in faith and thanksgiving instead of bitterness. That alone, thanksgiving, like to remember to be thankful in the midst of um, silly hard times, let alone hard, hard times, is um, not something that's easy to do. So, you know, it's awesome to see you guys thanking God and praising God when I know you're going through hard times or have gone through hard times and you still say, yes, Jesus is Lord. God is on his throne. He's the king of kings. That's awesome. So you who are walking in the spirit already have what the world longs for. The world <laughs> longs for love, joy, peace, and kindness, and they've put thousands of money into campaigns for these things that they can't get without the Lord. And you have already been successful in, in uh, receiving and giving uh, the love, joy, peace, and kindness that God has. And so you've been successful in life. And you'll keep being successful in life um, because you've been abiding in Christ and allowing him to live through you. Galatians 6, 7 to 10 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So I want, what I want to say to the older women is don't lose heart in continuing to do good, for you have been bearing fruit. You have. And you will continue to bear fruit as you continue to walk with the Lord. And you've hidden your lives in Christ, and you've made him your refuge. And to the younger women, to myself, and to the younger women here, um, I want to say we will bear fruit if we walk in the spirit and don't lose heart and if we hide our lives in Christ and make him our refuge. Um, some of you are currently going through very hard times. Some of you are dealing with husbands who are not submitting to Christ. And some of us are in the thick of raising children and are trying to figure it out, our best uh, course of action in raising them well. And everyone has different stories here. And I know that Personally, I know many of you have very hard things you've dealt with um, and are dealing with. And our lives are tested in many ways in order to purify us and sanctify us to be found in the Lord and to be a sweet aroma to him and a witness to our families and neighbors and friends in the world. So uh, younger women, we should look to Christ first, but also look to the women here who have gone on before us and who are continuing to walk with the Lord. Um, they have so much to impart to us and so much to offer, and they are more than willing to do it. Um, I know from experience that they are more than willing, and it's been um, just an incredible gift to me and to my family because when you um, impart to me, then you impart to my children because hopefully I'm going to pass it on to them. Um, so... I just want to say I really appreciate all of you women here, and um, and I'm just thankful to God for this family that we have here. That's all.
Okay, and then I have um, Arlene Smith, and um, appreciate her and her husband so much. She's part of the intercessory prayer group, and every Sunday, 9 o'clock, they're faithful every Sunday to pray for you guys and the church and the needs of this church, and what a blessing she is. So here she is. Good morning, everyone. I think we have a, a handout coming around, which we'll be explaining. Mother's Day to everyone. Let's see. Thank you. Okay, so let's see. We have a few scriptures to put up on the screen as we start. Today we're going to look at one mother of great faith from the Bible. Her story could be called the faith that prevails, or the power of believing, or holding fast to what God has given. We can start with a few powerful scriptures which are up on the screen. Let's get them up there. Okay. And these scriptures will relate to the message of today, which is possessing a spirit of faith and holding fast to the word of God in our lives. And isn't it great, as children of God, to be able to live by the power of the word of God and the wisdom of the word of God rather than the wisdom of the world? I think we can look out into the world and see just how the wisdom of the world is going right now. So praise God, we are in another kingdom. So we have Proverbs 18.21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. And James 5.16, the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, a believer, is able to accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. So mothers have great impact on the lives of their children, as we will see in the story that we'll read from the Bible today. You may be a mother of small children today, a mother with grown children, or maybe you are a spiritual mother who has people who have God has entrusted to your care and your love. Your prayer, your love, your actions, and your words all have long-lasting impact. And I know as mothers, we want to do the best we can. We want to uh, raise our children to be whole in God and for their purpose in life to come forth. We want good fruit. So we're going to look at one mother today from the Old Testament whose spirit of faith prevailed in a time of crisis. This mother is found in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 4. For the sake of time, we can't read the whole story, but it is worth reading. There is no name recorded for her, but she is referred to as a prominent woman of Shunem. And there's a remarkable story. She lived at the time of Elisha the prophet. She showed him kindness and hospitality, serving him meals as he would travel through the, her region, doing his work as a prophet of Israel. She persuaded her husband to prepare a guest room set aside for Elisha to use whenever he chose. 
When Elisha wanted to return her kindness, he discovered she had never been able to have any children, and now her husband was old. The prophet told the Shunammite woman that in a year's time she would have a child. The prophecy came to pass, and she gave birth to a son. Some years later, when the boy had grown, there was a day when he was out in the field with his father and the workers. He complained of head pain. He was brought back to his mother, where he was held in her lap until he died. The mother of Shunam responded remarkably in this time of crisis. She didn't panic, but she rose up to live her faith, just as we often have to rise up in our faith when we are faced with a hard situation. She carried her son to the prophet's room and laid him on the bed. She decided she must find Elisha, and as she left, she told her husband, it will be all right. She traveled the 20 miles to Mount Carmel, and Elisha observed her approaching in the distance. He instructed his servant to meet her and to ask her, is everything all right with you, with your husband, and with your child? Yes, all is well, was her amazing answer of faith. She was believing for a good outcome, even in the face of a calamity, just as we often must do to believe God to bring a good outcome out of a very difficult situation. When she found Elisha, she implored him to help her son. He returned with her, raised the boy from the dead, and restored him to his mother. So in the face of calamity, we see this mother held tenaciously to her faith in God and, and to hold on to what she believed God had given to her. She chose to speak words of life over a seemingly dire situation. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. We also face challenges. Alarming news may come concerning our children, a bad medical report. There are many trying situations. There are big storms that rage, and sometimes there are the small gusty storms that plague us. So maybe everything is going wonderfully well for you and your children right now, and you are in a place of great blessing and gratitude for what God has done. But others have issues of the loss of children or issues of estrangement with children, illnesses, emotional struggles, addictions, loss of faith. And although it may be our natural response to feel discouraged or defeated, we have the opportunity of the Shunammite woman to trust God and to speak life into our situations. It may seem daunting or even impossible to speak words of faith in times of testing, but we can be reminded that God is with us to help us. When we bring our concerns to God, we can remember that we are taking them to the kindest person in the universe. We have the ear of the kindest person, the kindest heart, who hears us, has all the wisdom, and who has answers for us, and helps us to carry our burdens. You should have received the handout, and if you look at it, it's a compilation of scripture verses which are promises of God for our children. As we read them, 
we see God's intentions for our offspring, for our descendants. They are revealed through his word. God's plan is good. We can see that as we look at these. There are promises of God to bless our children, to protect them, to prosper them, to bring salvation, deliverance, and destiny to them. I hope these will encourage all the moms here today and the dads that God has good plans for your children. God's plan is always good. The quote at the top of the page reads, it may look impossible, but bold faith sees with spiritual eyes, remembering that nothing is impossible with God. And let me remind all the moms today, your dreams for your children matter to God. Your dreams matter. When we pray God's word over our children, we can be confident that we're coming into alignment with God's will. We're setting ourselves in agreement with God, and it is always a good idea to agree with God. We don't want to not agree with God. <laughs> God's word, as we pray, it does not return void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. Thank you. <laughs> okay. It is powerful to pray God's word and turn thoughts of fear away. The, fears of thought, uh, the thoughts of fear will come, and sometimes we have to turn the fear away. How can we develop a strong spirit of faith? We may feel like we don't have the faith of this Shunammite woman, but we can develop a strong spirit of faith. How? By meditating on God's word, by doing what the word of God says, letting our minds be renewed by the word of God, letting it dwell richly within us. In today's world, if we are not filling our minds with God's word, we are likely tending toward neg negativity, anxiety, fear, discouragement, and even depression. But let's be a people that keeps our eyes on our redeemer, the one who can redeem all of our situations. So these verses that you have before you, they are powerful promises of God that we can pray and believe will come to pass. This is not to say that if we pray a few Bible verses that everything will be fixed overnight and every day from now on will be sunshine. This is more about persevering prayer. In consistency lies the power. Consistently reading the word, meditating on the word, praying it. Sometimes we grow weary, we might have a rough day, but we as moms, we can always decide we will be relentless. God's mercies are new every morning. We can always start afresh. We can also connect into other women of faith to support us and to strengthen us so we can grow and develop a strong spirit of faith if that's what our great desire is. So we have another, let's see, verse here, okay. Uh, let's see. Do not weary, do not grow weary in well-doing, which was also in, in Bethany's message too. For in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We serve a God who is able to turn around all of our situations 
and loves to give good gifts to his children. Jesus, as our Savior and Lord, is the master of the turnaround. When we look into the Gospels, when, we walked this, when he walked this earth, he transformed lives. He continually turned situations around, sometimes turned them upside down. When the wine ran out at the Feast of Cana, he miraculously provided an abundance. He fed thousands on the mountainside from just a small basket of food. So turning lack into abundant provision, those things are what Jesus' heart is all about. He healed multitudes of sick people. That certainly turned their situations around. He set demonically oppressed people free, restoring them to healthy minds as God intended them to have. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same heart that he demonstrated when he walked on the earth of blessing and moving with compassion is the same heart that he has today for his people and his world. So in closing, let's pray together. If you're carrying a weight of care for a child today, a loved one, if anything is pressing on you today that is stealing your joy and your peace, we can bring those things to the throne of grace. We have a mighty God who loves us. He wants to help us. He's the ever-present help in time of need. And in a divine exchange, we give him our worries and our fears, and he gives us his peace. He tells us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. He wants us to walk in peace. And it's within us because the kingdom of God is within us, so it's there. But we have an enemy of our soul that wants to steal our peace, but our inheritance is to have joy and peace. That's what the kingdom of God is. So let's bow our heads for a minute and pray. Father God, we come to your throne of grace today. We thank you for the children that you have entrusted to us. We bring before you any heavy burdens we are carrying, any heavy weight concerning a loved one, and we place it at the foot of the cross. We cast our cares upon you because you care for us. We trust you with our children and know you have a good plan for their lives. Now, Lord, I ask you to be the lifter of our heads today, as your word promises. May we, re we rejoice that you care about the dreams we have for our children. I pray you'd lift the load of care today in your people, O oh God. We release everything all to you. Let your daughters be flooded with your joy and peace as we release everything to your care. Help us to be strong mothers and women of faith today who cling to your word and pray and persevere with your strength and your help. Thank you for the river of life flowing today to nourish and refresh every heart that's here. Empower each one, O oh God, to receive your blessing of shalom peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you so much, Arlene. Excellent job. Bethany, thank you so much. Excellent job. Um, I just wanted to come up for a couple of minutes here this morning. Um, <clears throat> first of all, say thank you to the guys that came out to work yesterday. Got a lot of stuff done, and I really appreciate all that time. And we're, there's another one, I think, uh, as Jewel has just mentioned. So in two weeks, we'll be doing another one. And uh, love to have you come out. And uh, it, it helps a lot just to kind of get all these little projects, things getting painted. Like, for instance, take a look over there and look at those nice ceiling tiles. Everything nice and clean and unspotted, but that takes some time, and guys took care of that and other projects, so many thanks. Um, <clears throat> I, I also would not want to miss this occasion. Um, the fact that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned is so incredibly monumental and wonderful <laughs> that I, we cannot miss this opportunity, especially, come on, does God have a sense of humor on Mother's Day? Right? I mean, it, it's just its just unbelievable. It, it's extraordinary. And I thought, <clears throat> um, I don't know what could be more offensive or insulting to the whole concept of motherhood. There's few things on planet Earth that are more beautiful than motherhood. Wouldn't you say? I mean, few, few things are more wonderful for a woman to actually conceive uh, in her womb, a child, and then all the months go by and all that goes on there, you know what I mean? And, you know, obviously, I'm on the other side kind of watching it and, and you know, uh, encouraging her all along the way. But it's just, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. You know, it's, it's an utterly amazing thing. And it's hard to imagine anything that could have been more of an insult to motherhood itself than the passing of Roe v. Wade. And to, to, for the um, Supreme Court of the United States to declare that a woman has a right to take the life of her unborn child in the womb. And you can see how this thing has played out. There are really two things that I would say are kind of sacred in the religion of liberalism, progressivism. The first is abortion. This is a sacrament to them. I'm telling you, it, it, is, it is held with that kind of tenacity. This is a sacrament. That's why you're seeing people utterly, completely lose it and freak out, thinking that uh, somehow things have changed here. <clears throat> the other item on, the, on their religious list is climate change, but we won't go there this morning. But the two things that, um, uh, that are sacred to that side. And uh, I thought... I find that when I talk to people about this topic, people really have no idea, how did this happen? How in the world did the Supreme Court ever, in 1973, come to the conclusion or the decision that this was a constitutional right or that there was a constitutional right or a right in the Constitution that supported a woman having the right to take the, the life of her unborn child? Now, we've become so accustomed to this because for 15, 50 years, it's just been a given and people have, you know, and that different, different uh, cases come up, 92 K, uh, Casey, the Casey case came up versus Planned Parenthood, and there have been, and, and it's kind of been like um, hands off. That's been the kind of conventional political, cultural point, hands off. 
Nobody can mess with this. This is stare decisis. This is settled law. Nobody can, as if the Supreme Court has never reversed itself before. But what I wanted to do this morning is just to, because I find that when people understand how this came to be, they are more shocked and more amazed that this thing has been able to persist for 50 years and not just come tumbling down because the, the legal precedent of it was a nightmare. It was a disaster. So what I want, I want to show you, if you want to punch that next uh, slide up there. Oh, I got the thing. Yeah, so I can do it. Thanks. <clears throat> um, I would like you to see, now, now, again, the decision was based upon the 14th Amendment. According to the Supreme Court at that time, the Supreme Court found something that they called a right to privacy in the 14th Amendment. And that right to privacy then was extended to a woman and her body and the baby and all of that. And so that's how it came to be that they found a constitutional right. It's really important that we understand how things are supposed to work in the United States of America. And the Supreme Court is not a body that makes law. That must be known. The Supreme Court... Um, has no constitutional right to make law. What this, the, the Congress makes laws. And so if a law needs to be changed, one goes to their representative or their, their senator, and then they encourage that person to submit changes to legislation or new laws, and then those things go through the Congress and ultimately up to the president. If everything goes through, everything gets signed, everything gets passed. That's how a law is made. In 1973, that entire process broke down. And instead of passing a law that would have changed because the, on the books at that time, abortion was, um, was a crime. In 30, it, was a, it was murder in 30 states, and in the rest of the states it was manslaughter. So it was on the books, and in one decision um, in, in 1973, the Supreme Court ruled over the entire thing and then changed the laws, and that's not what they're there to do. The Supreme Court is there to take a law, to evaluate it, to measure it up against the Constitution, and then see whether or not it is constitutional. Okay, now what I wanted to show you here today is on the, the, the alleged right to take the life of one's unborn child comes from the 14th Amendment. So I'm going to show you this. So you can see this. And if you can find the right to privacy in there, you're a better man than me. Section 1, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the, I uh, better read them down here. Subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Anybody find anything about a right to privacy in there? It, that is such a stretch. That is such a misapplication. The 14th Amendment was passed after the Civil War, and it was passed to ensure the rights of slaves and their children that they would now be mainstreamed and brought into the mainstream of America and no longer somehow be, you know, dragged back into slavery. They were free, the slaves now were free, their children now were free, and that's what the, the basis for the, for the 14th Amendment was. But somehow or another, again, the Warren Court found in there a right to privacy, and, and it doesn't take a whole lot of digging to realize you've got to really stretch this thing 
to try to make that happen. So the, the change that's happening right now is wonderful because it's making something that has been wrong for 50 years right. Okay, and, and this, is, this is a wonderful thing. I can't tell you how many times in January, cold, cold Januarys, walking down with thousands of people down Pennsylvania Avenue and all the way up to Capitol Hill and doing the whole march many, 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 many years and just, just dreaming of the fact that we as a nation would be able to rid ourselves of this terrible sin, that we would somehow say that it is permissible for a mother to take the life of her infant child. And, what, and, it, and it has just been a stain on the conscience of this nation. And so it's a wonderful thing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that this has changed. Now, you all know this is not going to change. You know, there, there, there will be no more abortions and all of that. I mean, this thing will go back to the state. There's still a whole process here. But it is a wonderful thing that the error of this legislation or of this decision is going to be corrected because it should be corrected and it should have been corrected a long, long time ago. And we should rejoice. And you should know this kind of stuff because what happens is things just kind of come along. Most of us are not, you know, digging into politics and jurisprudence and law and all this kind of stuff. So you just hear stuff all the time and it, you buy it, you accept it, and that's it. But it was, it was wrong from the day that it was decided. And the, the day after this decision came down, the New York Times printed a headline that said, Supreme Court decides the abortion issue. Uh, or uh, resolves, maybe. Supreme Court resolves the abortion issue. Well, 50 years later, that thing is no more resolved than it was on that day. It has never been resolved and has left at least half the country scratching our heads and wondering what in the world were they thinking when they made that decision. And today we can thank God. Let me thank God. Father God, we do just want to offer as a body, we want to offer to you thanks and praise for the reversal of this terrible decision. And we understand that it's not, it's not law that changes people's hearts. It's you that changed people's hearts. It's you that, that put it in us to want to be the kind of people that this world needs. People of love, people of grace, people of character, people of integrity. That's the kind of people our world and our nation and our community and our church needs. And we want to be those people. And Lord, we thank you that according when, when our ways align with your ways, blessing will be forthcoming, as Arlene has kind of shared here today. Take some time. We cannot allow ourselves to become discouraged or to be weary. But in due season, we do reap if we do not get weary and faint. So we just thank you today. I thank you for all the voices and all the marchers and all the people and all the protesters for 50 years that refused to just shut up and go away. And so we thank you, Lord God. There have been movements. There have been pro-life movements. There have been demonstrations. It has gone on and on and on and on. But we thank you that this situation has changed. Now, O oh Lord God, we lift up this nation, that you would turn us to righteousness, that you would put it in our hearts to, to live a life that you can bless. Even as we read before, those, those, those simple instructions in the book of Titus, but just simple life-giving instructions that older women would teach younger women how to keep, take care of their home and how to, take, how to, uh, to, to properly relate to husbands and, and all of these things. You've built it all. The whole picture is built into your word. So I, I thank you, Lord God, for this wonderful day. We celebrate it. And Lord God, 
We ask that you uh, enable, Lord, put our nation, we ask, on a track that returns us to the place where our lives are lived in submission to your love and your goodness. So we want to praise you, O Lord God, for what you are doing. And keep doing it. Keep doing it, Lord God. And may, may God arise and may his enemies be scattered. This thing is not over. But we thank you, Lord God, that this is a major victory. In Jesus' name, amen.